church on this foggy Christmas Eve morning. We don't have a lot of those, but today we've got one. Uh, we are going to take this time, as we do every Sunday, even in this unusual season of Christmas, to stand and to worship together. And as we do, um, we're going to read some words uh, from John Calvin, reflecting on the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's another reason why it was necessary for him who was to be our Redeemer to be true God and true man. It was his task to swallow up death. Who could do that but life itself? It was his task to conquer sin. Who could do that but righteousness? It was his task to overcome the powers of the air. Who could do that but a power greater than world or air? In whom then do life, righteousness, and the power of heaven reside but in God alone. Therefore, the Lord, in his great kindness, became our Redeemer when he chose to ransom us. Let's sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing this morning.
Father, we thank you for this very special Lord's Day as we remember and celebrate the coming of God the Son to earth, and we consider all that he accomplished and made possible for us. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, having come as man, 
the unique God-man who was therefore able to live the life that you created us to live and die the death that we deserve. We thank you that he not only did this work, but that it is applied to men and women and boys and girls when God the Holy Spirit moves upon hearts when they hear the gospel message and embrace the Savior of that message, the Lord Jesus. We ask you today to move upon the hearts of all here. May the hearts of those who have a personal relationship with you be encouraged and renewed as we worship our Lord and Savior. May those who have not known or understood your good news see what your word says about the one who came, who is Savior, King, and righteous judge. We ask you, Lord, to receive our worship as we humbly bring it, as did those first worshipers at a manger 2,000 years ago. Our gifts are our songs and our offerings, our prayers and our proclamation, and indeed our very lives, because you are worthy of these and more. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. I want to welcome you this morning to Community Bible Church. We're glad that you could join us today. It's good to be together on this special Lord's Day, singing praise to Him together. And I want to especially welcome any of you today who are our guests. We're glad that you're here. We are glad you could join us this morning to worship. And we want to make it easy for you to get to know CBC. So as you see on the screen there, we've made a connection card. You can get that connection card by texting the word CBC Connect to the number 97000, and you'll get a link back. There are check boxes there to let us know what you'd like to know more about at CBC or space provided if you have a question not covered in those check boxes. But uh, let us know how we can help you. We'll get back to you. We're glad that you're here this morning. And I encourage you, if it's your first time with us today, stop by our welcome desk before you leave. It's just out in the lobby there. Let them know you're our guest, and we have a gift to give you to say thank you for being with us this morning. We've uh, stopped in our service at this point to do what we call worship through giving, so our ushers are going to come forward to receive our morning offering. Uh, guests, we didn't invite you here to ask you for money, so don't feel obliged to put anything in. We here at CBC believe that all that we have comes to us from God's gracious hand. It's his gift to us, and so we set aside a portion of all that he's given us each week as a practical matter to fund the ministries going on here at CBC but because we believe it's all his in the first place. So our men are going to receive the morning offering, and as they do, I'm going to go over some upcoming events. You received an outline on your way in this morning. On the back of that, we've got a bunch of upcoming events listed. I just want to highlight a few of those for you. And the first is just to remind you that all of our midweek programs are on mid-semester break, and so we won't have any midweek programs this Wednesday night. Just want to make sure you remember that. And then calendar-wise, also remember that next Sunday, a week from today, we'll have just one morning service, just like today, uh, at 10.30. And then uh, a little further out, uh, ministry coordinators, I want to encourage you uh, to remember on January 10th and 17th, we've set aside an opportunity for you to meet with your teams for planning and training. And of course, you can meet with your teams anytime you want to do planning and training, but we've set aside space at the Ministry Center on those two Wednesday evenings. It's on a Wednesday night when folks are used to coming out uh, to CBC programs anyway, so consider how you can take advantage of that to prepare your team for the coming year of ministry. And uh, you can reserve space in the Ministry Center for that meeting by using the link in the email that I sent you all this past week. Use the connection card if you can't find that email and I can help you out with that. 
On Sunday night, January 14th at 6 o'clock, we'll have a special dessert fellowship to celebrate Pastor Rich and Tracy Carrico's ministry at CBC. And uh, they're heading off to a new ministry role serving at Refuge Church in Detroit. And we want to encourage and celebrate uh, that with them. So that's January 14th. That's a Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We hope you'll plan to join us for that. Our children's and junior high programs are on break, as I mentioned earlier. They're going to resume on January 24th, uh, that same night that the elementary school and junior high programs resume. For our senior high and our adults, we'll have something special. We have pastor and author Jonathan Lehman here to speak with us on the topic of maintaining Christian witness in a polarized political age. So it's a great opportunity to have Jonathan with us. I think you will benefit greatly from hearing from him. So I hope you'll plan to be here with us for that. And then the following week on January 31st, all of our midweek programs will be up and running. And then one final scheduling calendar note, ladies, our uh, women's group Heart to Heart is going to be having their annual favorite thing party. That's on Friday night, January 26, at 7 o'clock. There are details about this. Look for this graphic on our website or watch the email uh, bulletin we send out every Monday and you can read the details of what to uh, bring, how to prepare for that. But that's a great time every year, ladies. I hope you'll plan to attend that. And so details about all of these things are on our church website, cbctrenton.com, or use that connection card if you need to know more about any of them. And I want to turn our attention now to God's word for our scripture reading this morning. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends for, to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now let's stand again and continue praising the Lord in song.
last song this morning, we'll sing once again, Jesus, you come. Just such an emphasis on the incarnation and the beauty that we have in Christ, that God himself came to be among us. Let's sing this together.
Please be seated. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm number 98, Psalm 98, and you'll need a Bible to follow along. So these brothers have come up front. They've got Bibles in hand. They're going to make their way to the back, and if you need a Bible, just get their attention, and they'll give you one of those. It's our gift to you. Keep that Bible and bring it back each Lord's Day as we look at God's Word together every Sunday. Psalm 98. We've been engaged in a months-long series in the book of Psalms, last week covering Psalm 78, and now I've asked you to turn to Psalm 98. And the outline that you received when you came in shows that today's message is indeed based on that psalm. But we normally take a break from whatever series it is that we are in when the holidays arrive in order to have a message that's focused on the theme for that occasion. So let me set your mind at ease that I haven't forgotten that it's Christmas Eve day. And I'm not simply continuing our psalm series with no focus on Christmas. And to prove it, uh, we've modified the title slide for that series. You guys see in the middle there the Star of Bethlehem? (laughs) So if you're feeling Christmas now, we'll be looking at Psalm 98 together. But really, it does turn out that I can both cover this psalm and relate it to Christmas because it is the case that this particular psalm is the basis for one of the most well-known and beloved hymns that we sing at Christmas, Joy to the World. In fact, we'll be singing Joy to the World at the end of our service today. Just over 300 years ago in 1719, Isaac Watts, who also wrote a majestic hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, He paraphrased Psalm 98 into a song that appeared in his famous collection, the Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament. Watts said of it, quote, in this hymn I have formed out of the 98th Psalm, I have fully expressed what I esteem to be the first and chief sense of the Holy Scriptures. And verse 4 of Psalm 98 is what especially gripped him. It says in verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, burst into jubilant song with music, and so the title, Joy to the World. But when you look at what the song says and you compare it to what happened when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, they they don't quite match. The song says, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. But when Jesus came the first time, we know that he was not so received by most people. In fact, the Bible predicted that he would be and was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one with whom pe- from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And the song says as well, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And yet, Scripture says decades after Jesus was born that the creation itself is in bondage to decay and the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And then again, the song. He rules the world in truth and grace. He makes the nations prove 
the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. The Bible speaks in volumes of a time when this will be the case, but it's clearly the case that nations are not now displaying the glories of His righteousness. One of our most beloved Christmas songs is not actually about Christmas, His first coming, but rather His second coming to which we look forward. But as one article rightly says, joy to the world is all about the fulfillment of what Christ came to do in the first place. Christmas is not only a time to look back at the grace accomplished in the past. Christmas is also a time to look forward to the grace that was accomplished for our future. When we sing that song, we are proclaiming the ultimate joy to be revealed. And This is why we can and should sing joy to the world at Christmas. This is why, then, we'll look at this psalm on which joy to the world is based this morning. Let's bow then and ask God to help us. Our Father, we thank you again for this gathering on this very special Lord's Day where we can think about your work in your world, especially when the time was just right. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law that he might redeem those under the law. And so, Lord, help us as we look back then as this psalm will teach us to look forward with great anticipation, with great joy, and help us to be celebrant people because we know the coming King in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, that outline that you should have received when you came in, I say, first of all, that Christmas celebrates the Lord's salvation. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Salvation is the theme of the first stanza in this psalm comprising the first three verses. In fact, the word salvation is used in all three of those first verses. And as I've mentioned in the past, the word salvation in Scripture refers to deliverance or or rescue. And in verse 3, it's used in the past tense, he has remembered. And so this is focused on some great deliverance that God performed on behalf of his people and that great rescue, that great deliverance, that salvation is being celebrated in the psalm. Now we're not told what that deliverance was in this context. And in one sense, that's a good thing because it can then move our focus from a particular incident in the lives of other people to God's deliverance in our lives and the ways that he has rescued us whenever we have a new experience of His grace, but focused in particular on the salvation, the deliverance, the rescue that God accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ in His life and in His death on the cross. Whenever we see God's work in our lives, we should, as I say in the outline, be moved to worship. The singing a a new song that verse 1 speaks of doesn't necessarily mean that you have to compose one every time God does something wonderful in your life, but it does mean that every time we should worship the Lord anew. Every time God displays His grace, delivering us in some manner, then we should worship Him anew and, in fact, break out in song to Him. 
So sing to the Lord again anew because of what he has, has done. When the birth of Jesus was announced to Mary by the angel in the passage that Pastor Larry read earlier, she breaks out in worship of the Lord in what is called the Magnificat. That's Latin for glory because she began with, my soul glorifies the Lord. And the 18th century British theologian Adam Clark pointed out some of the parallels between this psalm, Psalm 98, and what Mary said, suggesting that she may well have had this in mind when she was praising the Lord there. So, for example, Psalm 98 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. And Mary begins, My soul exalts the Lord. Psalm 98 says, He has done marvelous things. Mary said, The mighty one has done great things for me. Psalm 98, His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation. And Mary said, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. Psalm 98, he has remembered his love and his faithfulness. Mary says he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Mary's able to do this because she was immersed in Scripture and therefore immersed and understood God's ways until she could see what was happening in her life as an example of what she had read about, what she had seen in the lives of God's people and no doubt had celebrated in her own life on other occasions. You see, friends, the more God-centered we are in our thoughts, the more we will be moved to worship Him in our lives. We'll find ourselves thinking about what He has done in the past as recorded in the Bible, but what He has done in the past for us personally. And then when His mercy is new, our praise is renewed as well because we believe what Scripture says, that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. And so I just pause and I ask you, as I ask myself, do you find yourself regularly worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, going throughout your life for the good things that He has done? Jeremiah said in the book of Lamentations, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed Here's why, because for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So every morning, every day, many times throughout the day, you and I have things for which to worship the Lord anew and sing to the Lord a new song. And so consider what it is that the Lord has saved, delivered, rescued you and me from if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator has described the three kinds of spiritual deliverance that we see in the New Testament. First, there is deliverance from, from sin. He says that the single greatest problem you and I have is our sin. It's not a lack of self-esteem. It's not a lack of accomplishment or anything else. Sin both separates and destroys. It separates us from God, who is the source of all good, and it destroys relationships. In the end, it will bring us to that final place of all separation, a place that the Bible calls hell. And who is to save us from that sin? Will we look to the world? We'll find no help there. The world is unable to solve its own problems. And even if it could, this would mean nothing in terms of deliverance from the punishment of God due to each of us for our many transgressions of God's law and the harm that we've done to other people. 
We could look to ourselves. We'll find no help there either. If we could conquer sin, then we would. But we cannot. Sin lives in us and it drags us down. And that's why perhaps the greatest Christian of all time, the the Apostle Paul, talked about his own wrestling with sin. Saying this, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I've felt like that many times. And if you want to please the Lord with your life, and yet you compare it to how you think and talk and act, then you see a gap there, and you felt like that. But thanks be to God, Scripture does not leave it there. Because the next verse gives the answer, Who shall deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But how does God, how does God do that? Well, the apostle goes on to explain in the very next verse. You have the end of verse 25 of Romans 7. That's the last verse in that chapter. And then it immediately goes to, to chapter 8. But remember, when the letters of the New Testament were written, there were no chapters or verses. So it just moved right into this famous and blessed verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. How so? He goes on. Because for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. It's a mouthful, but what he's saying there is you had a perfect list of rules. Nobody could keep it because we all had a sin nature. The problem wasn't the law, the problem was the people who couldn't do it. And so, because what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live now according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And so this deliverance comes in three stages. First, there's deliverance, rescue, salvation from sin's penalty. Jesus died for our sin. He died in our place. And so now there is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, we are delivered from sin's power. Jesus saved us so that now the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And then finally... As that chapter says later, there's deliverance even from sin's presence. For the end of all of God's working for us and in us is that we might be glorified, it says toward the end of Romans chapter 8. And so we above, this author says, above all people can sing a new song for this deliverance from sin. But secondly, there's deliverance from death. Glorification when we are in our glorified and resurrected bodies, embraces the second kind of deliverance that's emphasized in the New Testament. That's deliverance from death. Death, the Bible teaches, is the great enemy. But though we are appointed to die once, we look forward to our resurrection from the dead because of the victory over death by our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote about Christ's resurrection and ours 
extensively in what's called the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, concluding death has been swallowed up in victory. And he goes on to say, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's victory, we no longer fear death, but live our lives obediently and we live them to the full, knowing that when we die, we will be with Jesus. And as the scriptures say, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Deliverance from sin. Deliverance from death. And thirdly, deliverance, rescue, salvation from Satan. The third deliverance emphasized in the New Testament is deliverance from Satan and his power. The very beginning of the Bible story, the very beginning of Scripture, the very first book, the book of Genesis, after the first man and woman disobeyed God and sinned, and God meted out then consequences for that in Genesis chapter 3, it said that there, a first hint that the coming of Christ will accomplish the defeat of Satan. God said in Genesis 3.15, He, that is Jesus, we know now, will crush your head, serpent, and you, Satan, represented by that serpent, will strike his heel. And Jesus did that on the cross. He defeated Satan, though Satan wounded him temporarily in the process. The atonement that Christ won, the covering for all of our sin, past, present, and future, on the cross, broke Satan's power, which was the power of sin and death. Jesus' victory over Satan enables us to be then victors too. In the power of Christ, we need not fear Satan. If you watch the TV preachers, which I've told you a bunch of times you probably shouldn't do, but Satan is a really big deal. You need to be really afraid of him. He's like really powerful. You know, he is powerful. He's much more powerful than you. But here's the reason you don't need to be afraid of him. Because Jesus is more powerful than Satan. And so the Bible can say this. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Not because of you, not because of your power, but because you are related to the one who has all power. So Christmas celebrates the Lord's salvation, and it should move us then to worship. And it shows us, I say in your outline, His power. Our psalm, Psalm 98, says this deliverance is accomplished in verse 1 by His right hand and His holy arm. And so Scripture tells us in the New Testament how it is and by what it is that we have been delivered, that we have been, that we've been saved. Peter the Apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, first chapter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So if you are a child of God through Jesus Christ, then you have awaiting you an inheritance that is characterized that way, never perish, never spoil, never fade. Now, why is that? What is it that makes all of that true? It goes on to say, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by, notice what we're shielded by, God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, friends, since salvation is a matter of God's mighty power, it means that no sinner is beyond hope. Because God in His power can reach down, touch anyone at any time with His saving power and bring them to Himself. We may at times think someone is helpless, but God, the Bible teaches, is mighty to save. And those He saves, those that He delivers, those He rescues, are saved forever. Why? Because we are kept by His power. And He intends to finish what He starts. And because He has all power, no one and no thing can stop Him. Even you. You can't stop, you can't make Him reject you. Once you are in His hand, you will never be able to be snatched out or leave His mighty grip because of His power. So Christmas celebrates the Lord's salvation, deliverance, rescue. And it should move us to worship. It shows us His power. And it reveals, I say in the outline, His character. Verse 2 says, The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The spiritual deliverance, the rescue, the salvation accomplished by the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, revealed His righteousness according to these verses. And it showed His love and His faithfulness as well. These are all character qualities. These are all attributes of, of God showing His character. It shows his righteousness because his holy standard had to be met by a perfect sacrifice for sin. We know that Jesus accomplished that on the cross, but that accomplishment in his death on the cross would not have had effect if it were not preceded by the perfect life of righteousness that he lived. And so Jesus did both. He was perfectly righteous in his life, in every thought, every word, every deed. And then he died on the cross, and that death on the cross was acceptable to God the Father precisely because it was preceded by that perfectly righteous life. And when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are rescued, you are delivered. Because in that, you get two things, not one. You get his righteousness applied to you, and you get the covering of his death for all of your sins, past, present, and future, applied to you as well. And that is why there is nothing or no thing in the future that can ever change your relationship with God ultimately for eternity. God's holy standard was met by Jesus, His righteousness, His righteous life. It showed His love in that He was not compelled by some outside power to do what He did, but rather was motivated to voluntarily do what he did for his people. And it shows his faithfulness in that it fulfilled what he had pro promised. Going back to the patriarchs in the first part of your Bible, what we call the Old Testament. 
He had promised to Abraham four centuries earlier. Excuse me, two centuries earlier. Now four centuries for us. And he had said that to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Jesus came, in fact, through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And one of Jacob's 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel that God designated in Genesis 49, would be the the son Judah, the tribe of Judah. And through that tribe came one named David who became King David from Bethlehem. And so it is that the city of David, Bethlehem, is the one in which our Savior was born. All of that orchestrated by God. And he's now made salvation universally available to those who are not the physical seed of Abraham, but are part of all families of the earth. So Christmas celebrates the Lord's salvation. And, more quickly, it celebrates, secondly, the Lord's rule. The first stanza, the first three verses, praised God as Savior and called on the people of Israel to sing a new song to Him. This stanza now, verses 4 through 6, views Him as King, not only of Israel, but of the whole earth. And therefore, it broadens its call to worship by engaging the whole earth in singing His well-deserved praises. Verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. The most striking feature of these three verses is something that we see at a number of places in the book of Psalms, the desire that the worship of God be joyful And above all, that it be loud. That may come as a surprise. But according to one scholar, the noise of temple worship was legendary. He points to the accounts of Israel's worship in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and Ezra chapter 3, where in the Ezra passage, the sound of the instruments and the shouts of the people are said to have been, quote, heard far away. Just stop there and ask you, how does your singing go? I mean, let's be honest. A lot of times it's just sort of a holy mumble. And God deserves more than mumble. The late James Montgomery Boyce asked in commenting on this passage, so should the worship of God's people be any less exuberant today? Should we be quiet when we have come to know Him who is the great King above all kings and the great Lord above all lords? Shame on us for all lackluster worship and half-hearted praise. He says the Methodists have always been noted for their hearty singing of God's praises. And one reason for that is that the founder of the Methodist, John Wesley, told his followers, quote, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of it being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. Not all of us have good voices. But I do not think the angels find poor voices offensive 
when hearts are full of gratitude to God. Isaac Watts was inspired to write this timeless song, Joy to the World, meditating on Psalm number 98. He was gripped by this middle stanza in particular. And again, verse 4, Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. And it was that that moved him to write Joy to the World. So Christmas celebrates the Lord's salvation, His rule as King, and His justice. The last stanza in verses 7 through 9 summons the entire creation, not just Israel, in the first three verses, not just the nations in the next three, in verses 4 through 6, but the natural creation itself is summoned to sing praise to God, and then in the last verse, it tells us why. Verse 9, for because he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the, earth, the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Here's why all of creation, all of the natural world even, should break out because he comes to do this. Judge the earth, judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Christmas celebrates the Lord's justice, I say in the outline, and that means that all things will be made right. There's a problem in our fallen world, not only with humanity, but with our surroundings, with our environment, all due to the entrance of sin into God's world. As a result of that, the creation itself is cursed by the fall. So in that passage that we saw earlier, where God is meeting out consequences for the fall, for the entrance of sin into God's world and the participants in it, as he talks to Adam our representative, humanity, he says this, God does, cursed is the ground because of you. Because of you, Adam, because of us, humanity. And this is why then we're told elsewhere in Scripture, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration but will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And Isaac Watts looked forward to this when he wrote, No more let sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And that includes the curse on the environment, the curse on the creation and the, the natural world. And so the creation that now convulses with harmful volcanoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and all manner of natural disasters, it will be made right, but only when the people who brought on the curse in the first place are made right. So Christmas celebrates the Lord's justice. All things will be made right, but also, and necessarily, all people will be made right. Again, Romans 8, the creation waits. What's it wait for? The children of God. Why? Because it's been subjected, but it will be in the future liberated, freed, when brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And this will occur 
when the children of God are revealed, that is, when all of God's people are gathered in his kingdom in submission to our king. And that is why before Watts wrote, no more let sorrows grow, what he said was, no more let sins and sorrows grow. Because the sorrows won't be taken care of until the sin that brought it on is taken care of. The former causes the latter. But when all people are right, then all things will be right too. And so Watts writes, let men their songs employ, people who have been made right, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And that's all based on verses 7 and 8. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. And that time is coming at his second coming for his people who are his now. And in his first coming, he made that deliverance, that rescue, that salvation possible. And so on this Christmas, friends, I want to invite you to be connected, related to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope in life and in death, who will return and establish his kingdom. He is king now, and he will be here as king in the future, and those who are his will be with him. And how do you establish a relationship with him then now? You realize that you are a sinner. You recognize that this work I spoke of earlier, the life and death of Christ, is on your behalf. Christ died for your sins. He lived for your righteousness. So you repent. You're going to go God's way now, not your way. By God's grace, you're going to follow him now. He's going to make the rules. You repent. That means to change direction. You receive Jesus Christ into your life. We're going to pray in just a little bit. And when we do that, you, from your heart to God, in your own words, there is no magic formula, you ask Him to save, rescue, deliver you from the penalty of your sin, from the power of your sin, one day from the very presence of that sin. Those of you for whom that has been done, praise God when we bow together. From your hearts to, to Him. And the Lord promises then to rescue all who call upon the name of the Lord. Here's your take-home truth. The Lord's first coming at Christmas anticipates His second coming in glory. Now, after I pray, our choir is going to come. And they are going to sing of His first coming. And then we're going to invite you to stand and sing loudly our concluding song about his second coming, Joy to the World. Let's bow together. Father, once again, we thank you for the blessing of being here in your presence, with your people, with your book opened before us. We thank you for telling us who we are, who you are, and the distance that exists between us because of sin. We thank you especially for telling us how that gap is bridged only by the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thank you for your saving work, your delivering work, your rescuing work in people. 
Thank you for rescuing me at the age of 19. Lord, I thank you for rescuing brothers and sisters who are in this room in their various circumstances and at the different times and ages that you called them to yourself. I ask you, Lord, in this sacred moment to call some out of the world into yourself now. May this celebration of the Lord's first coming also be a celebration of the spiritual birth of some in this room. Your arm is mighty to save. And so we ask you to do that. And we will give you the praise and we will give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. beautiful reflection on uh, the incarnation of Christ this season. So 
As we said, as the past Pastor Ken said just a moment ago, we're going to stand and we're going to sing Joy to the World together and we're going to sing loudly. So I'm going to hold you to it. So good job. Thank you again for coming this morning, for celebrating uh, this beautiful time of year. I pray that you all have a Merry Christmas, and we'll hopefully see you next week. <laughs>